Hey, everybody. Thanks for subscribing to the Front Row Knowles podcast. Hope you're tuning in to listen on Real Talk Tallahassee 93.3 if you're in Tallahassee on a weekly basis, Wednesdays at noon. Also want to thank Seminole Boosters. Reminder, uh, if you're not already a member, jump on board to help make a great brand even greater. And don't forget, there are tickets available for Florida State's games this season. Just go to Seminoles.com backslash tickets to grab yours. That said, enjoy this week's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ with you. And Keith, uh, not only a good day, but a good evening at the Tucker Center last night for Florida State. Just a, a ho-hum win over a top 10 appoint, uh, uh, opponent that had beaten Florida State, what, nine out of the last 10? Just a, just a malaise type of laid back kind of game. Right down to the wire, 13 in a row in overtime. There is uh, so much we can dissect on this, Keith, most notably. And here's what we're going to do, folks. I'll just set the table for you. Uh, we're going to talk football in our next segment with David Hale from ESPN, more specifically playoff expansion or the lack of it because of the ACC standing in the way. He'll, ex- he'll explain that to us. Then we'll get with Bob Franti. We'll talk more about Florida State football and transfer portal and all those type things. And then in our last segment, we'll really go back and reflect on a, a great night for Florida State with this basketball win. But Keith, I- I'm going to be honest, and I've, I've seen Florida State play an awful lot this year, including calling their last three games prior to the one last night. And uh, they continue to get better, but I didn't think they had enough in them to do that against Duke. But shame on me for doubting Leonard and shame on me for doubting the, the Tucker Center. Well, the, the biggest key there is you're seeing the freshmen and, and the new players grow up under pressure. And if you can grow up under pressure and win, then that is a recipe. And, and, and Leonard said all along, it's going to be February for these kids uh, getting where he wants them to be. Well, and they didn't get the 18 days over Christmas, which is when they normally would have made such growth. Uh, just, a, just a tremendous win. And, I mean, McLeod was huge. Butler was huge. How about the week for Raekwon Evans, though? I mean, he's been a little maligned in there. He hits two free throws to win it with .8 left against Miami. He hits two free throws to seal it against Syracuse. He hits the layup to tie it against Duke and then hits free throws in overtime. I mean, you can't find a better week than that. I would agree, and he's really coming into his own uh, in the point position. Uh, obviously, uh, continued uh, progress and continued uh, um, growth there, but uh, that was a big win, Tom, a big win. Big, big win. Okay, more hoops in our last segment. David Hale from ESPN is up next. This is Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom Block, Keith Jones back with you, and we crank open that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Say hello to a longtime friend of the program and friend in general, David Hale. How are you, sir? I am great, gentlemen. I, uh, I am happy to be here. We, we, I thought maybe I was done talking football for a little while, but now here we are. It's it, it, the, the, the offseason lasted uh, like an hour and a half. Yeah, that's about all you get nowadays. <laughs> David Hale, of course, covers uh, ACC and college football for ESPN, and he's been on the program many times. And the big story right now, of course, 
the college football is trying to get like the NFL, David. We're trying to have the, the offseason be meatier than the actual season. May, and, may the NFL not. I hope that some of those college football folks have been watching these NFL games because that was not exactly a ringing endorsement for expansion. No, no, it was a it was a tough weekend there. Uh, but that is why we're having you on to talk about expansion and really the narrative and maybe the fact, I don't know, but uh, they teased us with this idea that we'd expand sooner rather than later last summer. And then they've been meeting subsequently, including last week. And all of a sudden, things kind of grinded to a halt. And then Jim Phillips from the ACC had a teleconference on Friday to uh, fess up or, or confirm that it was the ACC standing in the way, which is not, I guess, entirely true. There's others there with them. But but what can you tell us about the lack of progress at this point? Uh-huh. And then we'll have a deeper conversation. So my the biggest thing that people should take away from what Jim Phillips had to say, and this is sort of the, uh, not to sound too like conspiracy theorist here, but like everything is connected, you know? So like all these people who just want to talk about playoff expansion in uh, a silo are not looking at the big picture, which is um, why we're at the big picture is why we're here. Nobody at this point is devoutly against playoff expansion. And in fact, I think everybody is to some degree on board with it uh, because it's going to make more money for college football, for the leagues, et cetera, et cetera. And if all of this, if we hadn't, if, if the news hadn't leaked about Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC when it did, we were on course for the 12 team uh, expansion model being of all but rubber stamped in September. But that news did leak. And suddenly a lot of people stepped back and said, whoa, 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 what are we doing here? How did we get to this point? And did we miss some steps along the way? And I think Jim Phillips, more than anyone, has has wondered um, about the decision making and the rationale there. So uh, I won't give you this huge, long winded answer because I'm sure we'll get into the specifics of, of certain things. But the reason that it's not going anywhere is because Jim Phillips and the ACC have no interest in expanding until these other leagues and commissioners are willing to come to the table and start talking about other things, be it revenue distribution, uh, be it NIL, be it transfer windows, be it um, TV partnerships, be it um, just run down the long list of all of NCAA governance, all the things that have been these huge issues that have come up and changed the college football world dramatically over the last 18 months, 12 months, whatever. He's saying, look, we, it is our duty to rectify all of these things before we do this other thing that is going to make us a bunch more money. And his point, I think, you know, the, the way I've described it is he's telling you to eat your vegetables before we can have dessert. And I think he's not wrong about this at all, because what is eventually going to happen as college football powers that be want to crack open yet another piggy bank and start showering everyone with gold. Um, the federal government is watching all of this and they're watching very closely. And if they don't play their cards right on all of this, there is a distinct possibility that college football could lose its antitrust exemption, that the federal government is going to get much more involved than they have been. And I think there's a lot of let's just keep eating cake and not nearly enough people like Jim Phillips who are saying, look, there's a lot of other uh, spaces we've got to fill in before we get to that point. David, do you think it boils down to something as simple as we need our house in order before we expand as opposed to waiting to expand and then put our house in order, given the fact, what are we talking about, two-year difference, maybe three years? Right. 
And I mean, the fact of the matter is the ship has probably sailed on maybe even 2024 playoff at this point. So the end of the 2023 season. Um, so we're looking at really a couple of years here is what's being right. negotiated. And, and for, for anyone that isn't too in the weeds in this, and I don't blame you, um, to the, the, the deal that comes up, we'll have to start a new deal in 26. Um, if to change the existing deal requires unanimous support of the member conferences uh, to change it, to create a new template for after this deal expires only requires majority support. So Jim Phillips can hold up the entire thing until the current agreement is done. Once that's over, then Jim Phillips isn't going to be the one with sway. Uh, it will be about just gaining a simple majority, but to, to, to be clear, Jim Phillips is the most steadfast and the ACC is the most steadfast in their position right now. But it is a position that I think is largely mirrored to some degree or another by the Big Ten and by the Pac-12 and maybe the Big 12 as well. Um, and, and a lot of these leagues, I think, look, everybody wants to go and get at the bank account and, and start adding more revenue. And certainly if you're the, the Pac-12 who can't seem to get a team in the playoff at four regardless – Heck yeah, you want to push the envelope on this. But Jim Phillips is saying, let's try to get this right and get a bunch of other stuff right too because you look around the world of college football right now and I'd argue the games have been great. The season as it played out was fun, but the everything else tangential to the sport is in a state of flux and he's not wrong to say, can we try to get some of these, you know, get these ducks in a row before we go and, and start looking to expand the playoff? How much credence to the fact that some would say that it's also a play to try to force Notre Dame's hand? Any any legitimacy to that? Well, I I don't think that Jim Phillips is being uh, effusive or being you know he's trying to to cover up what he's really trying to get. I don't think there is like some secret uh, plan going on here. I think he is genuine in saying. We, there are things that need to be addressed before expansion. Having said that, what Jim Phillips is holding right now is an ace with this vote for the next couple of years. And it's the only card that the ACC has left to play in a lot of negotiating situations. So let's look at where the ACC specifically is. Um, one, just looking at playoff expansion, yes, expansion might help them and bring in some more money. But we're not talking about uh, uh, dollars to dollars comparison from uh, where they are today to where they would be with expansion as being important. What matters to Jim Phillips and the ACC is relative dollars. And so if they're making a little bit more, but the SEC is making a whole, whole, whole lot more, then – Expanding doesn't really help the ACC. In fact, it puts them further behind this league that they're sharing a footprint with. Then you look at the other things that, that he wants to get done, which certainly, um, you know, NIL, uh, and he wants some federal government insight on that, but, but to get something done on regulations and rules for NIL, which right now the SEC is kind of, I mean, we have effectively free agency in the SEC right now and, and other places. Um, transfer windows, coaching, all the things that go into that he wants addressed. Then you talk about the TV contract that they're under. And in some ways, you know, we talked about this is when we talked about realignment in the summer. And I thought one of the most interesting things that Jim Phillips said in his call was, Hey, you know, um, I wouldn't be surprised if by the time the current playoff deal expires, there's more realignment. 
What does that mean? I don't know, but it just means I don't think anybody in, in his role is feeling very comfortable with where things are. And so he's protecting against that, but he's also trying to get ESPN to come to the table and say, listen, we're willing to renegotiate this TV deal that runs through 2035 or whenever it is, that is a very network friendly deal. Well, ESPN as a network might like playoff expansion because it's going to bring in more money for them. So if they want to get it done, maybe they come to the table and it's a leverage point for, for Jim Phillips and the ACC there. And then, as you note, doing playoff expansion right is a way to perhaps nudge Notre Dame into doing this thing that the ACC really, really wants, which is join the league full-time in football, which changes the landscape financially as well. All of these things on Jim Phillips' wish list, and it's a wish list he inherited when he started less than a year ago, um, he has almost no other leverage to get at any of those things except for this one trump card that he's holding right now. And so it should be a surprise to no one that he is willing to play it this way because it is the most important and significant and in some cases only point of leverage that the ACC has for all of the other things that they're trying to get. And if he plays the card, well, he's already played the card, but if it doesn't, if he doesn't get some of the things he's seeking, David, uh, we can all extrapolate out the numbers. And now if the SEC, if the gap is growing between the, the SEC and the ACC and the Big Ten and the ACC, uh, that doesn't lead to competitive balance. And really the bigger question here is, are, are we any closer to, to, to a commissioner or the idea that one person could call the shots instead of everybody just fending for themselves, which is what we've had for the history of college football? Yeah, you know, I think there are a lot of people who advocate for that. Um, I was at the AFCA uh, coaches convention in Texas last week and talking to a bunch of folks and I ran into Kalani Sataki, the head coach at BYU and was asking him like, you know, are, are, are folks any closer to like being on board with some solutions or, or identifying like a commissioner who can look out for, for the, the overall good of college football. And he said, let me tell you something at BYU, we can't even agree whether we're going to do uh, semesters or a quarter system or thirds. We can't agree on that on our own campus. If you think we're all going to get on the same page behind the same guy, no, nah, it isn't it didn't going to happen. I just, I don't think the, the, the powers that be in college football have such divested interest. And look, it is not in Greg Sankey's interest at all to try to help the ACC or the Big Ten or the Pac-12. And frankly, where the cards that, that Jim Phillips is trying to deal with are much different than what even the Pac-12 is doing. And, and even within those leagues, I mean, what's good for Clemson and Florida State is not the same thing that's good for Duke or Wake Forest. And so it is just really hard to get people on the same page behind a big picture idea. And again, I think that's part of Jim Phillips' uh, argument here is like, here's the thing that we all want. So before we just go get it, let's use this as the carrot to dangle out there to make people come and compromise on some of these other ideas. I'd be a little bit surprised if we get to a commissioner. But to your point, I mean, the, the way that things are in between the SEC and, and the Big Ten and then everybody else right now is is massive. And I think that that chasm is getting bigger. And I think certainly as you look at the way that NIL has been instituted, which is not I think in a lot of ways, any way that, that people wanted NIL to, to look, um, we're getting closer and co closer to pay for play every day. And when two leagues or particularly one league have double the financial uh, windfall coming from its TV and, and playoff receipts, where do you think all the talent's going to end up? 
And, and I think this is the big concern that these other leagues have is what at some point is do the SEC and Big Ten not need us anymore? Are we do we become full on second class citizens? And I think that's the danger of going too far down this road without identifying a few stop gaps to keep that from happening. You 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 shut us both up. I, Keith, I thought you were going <laughs> to fire away. I, I think that's exactly the that that's the concern we all have, David, is is where is this heading? Because. Uh, I, I mean, I, I'm a Florida state guy. I, I can, there's, there's a lot of talent in, in, in the state of Florida. Uh, that's something that not every state has, regardless of how much money they're getting. So I can see a, an avenue for FSU to get, to have a run again, but to have the sustained success and, and level that, that SEC schools are having or big 10, I don't see how FSU gets there without more even uh, revenue distribution. And I don't see how we get to that. I mean, it's just, there's not a, you know, it's not like the NFL where you have where you are equally dividing all TV revenue. And I don't again, I don't know how we ever would get to that point. Um, you know, it's, I, I look at, at the group of five schools who are in favor of playoff expansion because it gives them an avenue toward the playoff uh, to at least put one team in. But there's a very good chance. And Jim Phillips alluded to this, too, that expansion just means that the the autonomy five or whatever you want to call it power five just move off and do their own thing and effectively create a a, a tier one away from the rest of the group of five. it could effectively be the death knell for the group of five and they think they want it um all of these things are legitimate questions and there's just not enough talk about it it's about and look i think there is an upside to expansion for a lot of reasons i think one of the great dangers that college football is in and we've seen this with some of the tv ratings is the the hyper regionalization of the sport and where two-thirds of the country is effectively eliminated from playoff contention by mid-october and they tune out on the sport those are all problems that warrant being addressed and i think expansion can help but you got to ask like when you do this there are consequences on the other side and to your point i i I think you can look at the writing on the wall and say, um, if the SEC is for it, it's sort of like when uh, when Belichick used to make, you know, if Belichick was offering you a trade, your initial answer should always be no, because you already just know he's smarter than you. So if he wants to do it, what's what's what are we missing here? I think that's a little bit of the way Jim Phillips sees this is like if Jack Swarbrick and Greg Sankey want to do this, how is it bad for us? Because uh, something in there is bad for us. <laughs> David, one of the things that that some believe, and I think I am in this court as well, is that there will be some NCAA changes, governance changes, before any of the rest of this gets settled. Uh, You agree, disagree? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I 100% agree. I think the questions are a little bit of what does that governance change look like? I think clearly what it means is a lot more autonomy for the individual leagues and the, and the various levels, which is good because the fact that we were going through making rules to try to uh, fix the same problems in the SEC and division three was just insane. So in some ways that's good, but look, the fact of the matter is the NCA is a virtually toothless organization right now and look no further than how they handled NIL. It is blown up in their face. They knew it was going to blow up on their face. They had two years of runway and did nothing. And this same organization that for largely its entire history was telling the federal government, you know, get off our property as saying, well, we can't do anything. We need the feds to come in and fix it. This is where the NCAA is right now. So I genuinely don't know 
how much any sort of legislative change in terms of what the NCAA's governance is going to look like. There, there's a, I guess there's two separate questions. What will that governance look like? And does it actually matter? Yes, the governance is going to change. Will it ultimately uh, change to the point that there is some semblance of rational, pragmatic, practical decision-making about the health of the sport? I still remain very dubious about that. I'm not sure that Keith and I feel any better after this conversation. We got to take a break. Thanks as always to David Hale for joining us from ESPN. More Front Row Knowles right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Welcome back. Time to focus on Florida State as we welcome our Osceola insider to the show via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. Bob Ferrante joins us as he often does. How are you, Bob? Doing well, gentlemen. Do I have to uh, carry over the David Hale momentum into uh, into this segment here? No, David. No, we want some answers in this segment. Yeah, yeah. He left us feeling bleak. Uh, he couldn't solve college football's issues in one 15-minute segment, so... We'll just we'll put that on pause and we're going to bring it back to, to Florida State unless you've unless you found the easy button, Bob, in which case uh, patent it and share it with somebody at that point. I'll carry your bag. <laughs> Let's talk Florida State. The newcomers uh, are meeting, starting to meet the media. Florida State had uh, a few that uh, that spoke with the media on Tuesday. A few more are going to speak tomorrow. Uh, I'm sure you and the Osceola participated in those conversations. So. Uh, impressions, I think it was Micah Pittman, Winston Wright Jr., and Jared Verse that that uh, were first up. Impressions from from some of these newcomers? I think, obviously, Florida State needed wide receivers badly. The, the position group on offense that needed to be improved the most was receiver. And you've, you've got a couple of guys who can be contributors um, and on offense and on special teams. I mean, Micah's been more on the punt return side, Winston more on the kick return side. I think you've got some guys who uh, who have some versatility in terms of where they can line up on offense and where they can do some things on special teams. Um, and Jared Verse, I think we've kind of read his story, you know, throughout the last couple of months, but obviously a guy who, you know, coming out of high school was a tight end defensive lineman, basketball player, has was part of a state championship track team and and then went to college redshirted the pandemic hit didn't really play college football until last year and just absolutely became something incredible on the fcs level and um he didn't realize when he went the transfer portal just how how big he might become was was kind of confident that some teams would be interested and um you know florida state of course jumped in early got on jared and uh, got him in for a visit i think that visit was was pretty huge as far as him getting to meet uh, Jermaine Johnson, Kier Thomas, as well as the coaches, and, and really kind of get a feel for how they have developed transfer guys through the portal. So, um, and, and yeah, I think we all feel Jared is um, was the top defensive option out of the portal this cycle, and, and it's great to have him in here. He's obviously a long-term guy because he, he could be here two years, but he has as many as three years to, uh, to be at Florida State. That was going to be my comment. Uh, I think you heard and saw and get a feel for the fact that 
you know, unlike here or Jermaine that were, you know, the t- t- prototypical one and done, which is not, a, I'm not saying that in a bad way, it's just what it is, that uh, these are kids that are going to get invested uh, and immersed in Florida State and its uh, new culture. I think you have to appreciate both, you know, the, the Jermaines and the Kears, but also a guy like Jay Sean Corbin, uh, Devontae Love Taylor, Fabian Lovett's coming back um, for a third year at, at the very least. So I, I feel like guys who have multiple years of eligibility remaining and because of COVID, you're going to see a lot of that. But those guys should be in very high demand for coaches who want to project based on film. OK, here's where we saw him um, in, in 2021 in the fall. Here's how we feel like we can grow him through strength and conditioning. Um, and then once he gets in, what he does in the spring and the fall, but then the capability of having him come back for another, you know, full year, maybe in 23 too. I think we talked about this with, with Pat, Bob, but if you can get a guy who's one year or two years out of high school, maybe a little more mature, and you've got a whole nother set of coaches or contacts that can vouch for him either as a good guy or a bad guy. Uh, I shouldn't put it that way, but, uh, you know, a prospect who's going to help your team or maybe somebody that won't help it as much. Could you see this being kind of the way of the future? It's not good for high school kids, but it's not necessarily bad if you got a guy who's got, in Jared Versus' case, 30 pounds more good weight on him from when he was at high school to go with good tape. Yes, I, I agree. You have to trust your relationships and your contacts, both on the high school side, the college side. And, and Norvell's got a pretty extensive group of contacts through the college coaching community, building that throughout the state of Florida. Um, On the negative side, you know, I talked with uh, Dante Anderson, who's who's a walk-on who's arrived at Florida state, you know, Dante Anderson being a high, highly um, respected defensive end at the high school level, but his coach felt like because there's so many portal defensive ends and edge rushers that are developed from a physical standpoint, they've got some some college years under their belt. The guy like Dante just didn't get as many, um, let's say, high-level Power 5 offers as he might have been hoping for. So does a guy like Dante Anderson go to, you know, pick your max school, or does he say, hey, I'm going to roll the dice, bet on myself, go to Florida State. It's where I want to be. My teammate Daniel Lyons from high school is going there. I may have a shot to contribute and potentially get that scholarship because Coach Norvell has shown a willingness to give a scholarship to the hardworking walk-ons. So, yes, it's it's definitely going to hurt some of these high school kids, but th- the name of the game is always win now in college. And, and if you have to win now, uh, college coaches are just going to have to figure out that the best option may just be grabbing a portal kid who you feel like is more plug-and-play. Guys, the, the scale and the scope and what other uh... – New terms I could use are a little different, but this isn't, from a philosophical standpoint, this isn't any different than 30 or 40 years ago when you had a kid that wasn't good enough academically. So you put him in a junior college, you sent him to Livingston State, you had a pipeline. This is the same concept, it's just a different version of it. Yeah, and and you know, to some extent, I think did, did the four state basketball team do that with with Naheem McLeod, a guy who wasn't quite ready academically, you know, they said, Hey, it's your chance to go to a junior college, develop academically, physically on the basketball court too. Yeah. I mean, we, we've seen this. I think if, if coaches are smart, 
they do the best by a young man or, or a young woman and telling them realistically, what are your prospects as far as academics and athletics and just figuring out where, where you best fit. The great thing about the portal in the end is going to be, you've got a shot to transfer once inside your four-year window. My caution about all this in the end is because it's become the wild west, let's make sure if we are schools, we are going to graduate these athletes and make sure that they have a future that is guaranteed with a diploma in addition to what they're trying to achieve in, in athletics. Are you crazy? Yes. <laughs> I'm teasing, of course, but wow, there, there's a novel concept, Mr. Block. I was just thinking of the fact that we spend an inordinate amount of time on every week's show talking about the transfer portal. We're going to need to rename the show, find some new sponsors to tie in. This is what we talk about every week is the portal, right? Speaking of which, Florida State this week got another commit out of the portal, a running back from from uh, Oregon. So I don't know if uh, Pittman helped on that front. I'm sure he did. But what can you tell us about Trey Benson? And I ask for those who, who don't follow it that closely, he had a pretty horrific knee injury. And the last guy with a pretty horrific knee injury that FSU took out of the transfer portal didn't pan out that well in McKenzie Milton. So are we, I guess we're more optimistic about this or, or, or is this a big roll of the dice? I would say it's, it's a short-term roll of the dice with, with the potential for long-term gains. And when you think about it, Jay Sean Corbin was a little bit of a roll of the dice short-term too, coming off a torn hamstring at Texas A&M. You didn't feel like you got a lot out of him year one, but you saw as he got more and more months away, more confidence on the football field, learning how to, you know, run and cut and, and just it, it became second nature for Jay Sean. I don't know. We can't compare injuries because they're not similar. We're talking about a hamstring to a knee with Trey, but this was a guy who was the best running back in the state of Mississippi you know, 3,600 yards, 48 touchdowns across two seasons in Mississippi, high level of high school football. Does it feel like a roll of the dice? Of, of course it does. But if you're building a roster and you're saying, can this guy contribute for us long-term, it, it feels like a guy who can. Um, you're, you're maybe looking short-term at saying, okay, we're, we're very much committed toward Treshawn Ward being the number one tailback here and then further developing Lawrence Toafili into that, that kind of hybrid running back receiver role. And then further looking at, at your other options, Rodney Hill has just come in, DJ Williams. So I think a lot of fans were maybe thinking, is there, is there a ready-made thousand-yard rusher type ready to come to Tallahassee? And it, it just didn't feel like there was one, but this is, this is probably a good long-term get for Florida State. Bob, what is it now, 21, 22, quote, unquote, early enrollees, uh, eight-month jump on what we used to call a recruiting class? Yeah, so this is now Trey Benson would be 10 of the transfer portal guys, plus I believe it's 15 high school prospects who have signed. And then Antavius Woody is the the last – let's say unsigned because you would be coming in in February. So they're now up to, is that 26 with the chance to, to grow as much as 32. If you have that, that one for one transfer out of the portal. So again, it's very much Mike Norvell putting the stamp of who he wants on this roster. And and that plus seven rule does give you a lot of flexibility if, if they're able to grow that far. 
Bob, do you assume that they still will bring in another quarterback? And if so, at this point, since they didn't get him in for the spring semester and spring practice, do you think it's a one-year left guy who, who's content to be an insurance policy rather than a true competitor for the starting role? Yeah, I think the definite answer is they need a fourth quarterback because you, you can't lose a guy either to the portal or to injury down the road. You, you can't be in a position where you've got two and you're looking at certain walk-ons to, to maybe be your emergency type guys, or again, a Travis J, um, a Deuce Span, who was a high school quarterback is now a college receiver. You can't kind of go to the, uh, the fire extinguisher that, that fast. Who will it be? Is it a guy who might you know, go through the spring in his current school and then decide to transfer to Florida state? We, we think the portal could open back up again in, in April or May, it, it's a question of how many slots do you have open? And, and Mike Norvell should keep at least a few slots open. Um, you know, there, there are some examples. I think Dylan Gibbons was a late arrival last year. So, so every coach kind of, kind of knows let's keep a couple, so, couple spots open for that reason. But yes, with a quarterback, you would say, ideally wish you had him there through off season workouts, spring practice, all that. So it, it's, it's not ideal. But uh, definitely from a number standpoint, I think you need to get to four. And, and to remind ourselves, our listeners, obviously, and, and, and Tom and I as well, the, the hard number is still 85 when everything's said and done. And that hard number comes into play in August. And depending on who you count and how you count, Florida State may be already over that number. So there may be some other movement uh, away before moving, movement towards. Is that a fair brief overview yeah some of my friends you know often say that the the numbers work out as you get to 85 the numbers work out and it's because guys decide they're going to go into the portal after spring practice they see how the depth chart looks they see uh the competition is is too fierce at at Florida State and they want to you know drop down a, a level or go to another school um we're we're going to continue to see i think roster turnover yeah, it's um, it, it's it's something we're just going to have to get used to. Is this this kind of roster shakeup? But I have to admit, has Norvell handled it as well or, or better than maybe could have been expected? As well as better than a lot of other coaches out there, just figuring out um, who's the right type of fit in terms of personality, but also who's the right fit in terms of production, leadership, all those kind of things that you're looking for out, out of an athlete. Bob, final question for you. Track's underway. Tennis is underway. Spring sports season is here. Uh, any, anything that jumps out early on in those seasons as they just got cranked up? Yeah, no, track just had a good performance up at Clemson with the indoor season kind of kind of cranking up. And, and baseball, um, you know, debuting at, at 11 in the D1 baseball uh, preseason rankings. So things are going to get really serious, uh, you know, pretty quickly here. Softball um, ramping up too. So it's it's a great time of year. It still feels kind of too cold to get out there and, uh, and be maybe swinging the bats in baseball and softball, but it's, uh, it's coming. It's coming very fast. He is Bob Frante, our Osceola insider. Thanks as always, Bob. Take care guys. More front row Knowles right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the front row Knowles podcast and follow at front row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the prime Meridian bank studios. 
Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and Keith with you. Good show, good content. Appreciate David Hale joining us and Bob Ferrante. A lot of football talk. Keith, though, let's we always do this to, to Leonard and his basketball team. We bury him at the back end here, but we got about five minutes to go, and we need we need to look back at that Duke game. There are so many things to point to. I, I don't know where to start. How about John Butler, for one? I mean, for him uh, to be 7-1 and, and shoot like that, Adrian Crawford keeps saying he's like Bitcoin, buy stock early. I mean, that, that guy's got a really high ceiling, and he was he was fun to watch last night. Those three threes that he made in the first half looked almost effortless. I mean, it was amazing how smooth. And, of course, anytime you play Duke, you're going to have games of runs. Uh, Florida State was up by as many as nine in the closing minutes of the first half. Duke went on a run to, to close that. And then FSU comes out in the second half and goes on a run to take the lead. Duke comes back, fights back, gets it down close. They play back and forth the last three or four minutes. I was texting you going, you know, we're, we're, this is going to be overtime. And sure enough, there it was. It's all right. It's it's worth it when you win. 13 in a row. So, you know, this is a little bit of a digression here. And in and, and, uh, Florida State, you have to point to the fact that they play so many bodies as part of the reason that they've won so many overtime games in a row, Keith. But 13 in a row is an NCAA record, and I don't have the number in front of me, but if you look at, like, one possession games, Leonard Hamilton's better than Kay and Roy Williams over the last 10 or 12 years. I mean, it's a phenomenal number, and I think we lose sight of that, that, that because there was this reputation, perhaps, that because Florida State did so much defensively early in Leonard's career, but they weren't great offensively, that he's not a good coach. But, I mean, he just beat uh, – Coach K's lasting memory of coming to the Tucker Center is going to be he lost at the place that he once cracked jokes about how they hold circuses and there's elephants running around in there. Well, that's the stink he can take home with him to Durham. Tractor pools and everything else. That oh, he ripped it. it. He ripped it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, certainly. You know, one of the things we talk about with Coach Bowden and his legacy is how he was able to adapt over his 34 years at Florida State. I think one of the things we're learning is that Leonard has been able to adapt now in his 20th year at Florida State. There will always be his defensive principles, but the um, uh, EGBs, is that what they call them? The Mm -hmm. energy-generated behavior uh, has really caught on uh, getting uh, upper-tiered uh, really good players out of high school uh, to learn to play defense quickly, which they don't do much of in high school these days, and just to be able to stay uh, stay the course, both with his staff as well as – I mean, they were talking during the telecast that the pregame meal has been the same for the last 20 years for Florida State basketball. He doesn't deviate from it. But – when time has come to change some of his offense, change some of whether he pushes the ball or holds it in the half court, uh, whether he uh, plays younger players more than he liked to or used to like to, he's been very uh, willing to adapt in that regard. Great win for Florida State. So they're now second in the ACC, and the team ahead of them is the team whose only loss is to FSU. That's Miami, and they'll see him again on Saturday. Keith, as we wrap up, this is somebody I follow on Twitter who's uh, part of the Duke contingent. So the last time Duke and North Carolina lost on the same day was 2020. The last time they lost on the same day in the same state was 2018, but they were both at home. 
They last time they both lost on the same day in the same state that wasn't North Carolina was 1970. And the last time Duke and North Carolina lost on the same day in the same state other than North Carolina, but not in the same building, was 1942. That's how historic what happened last night was with Miami beating North Carolina and FSU beating Duke. How about those stats? (laughs) You know, it takes someone that knows the program to come up with that. That's something you and I would have never been able to uncover. Uh, But it just speaks to the change. And obviously, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the fact that the ACC, you know, has not performed well on the national stage. Duke is the only rated team. Uh, you know, I think Miami and Florida State may get may get into the top 25 in weeks to come, if not in the next week. But the bottom line is it's still the ACC, and numbers and stats like that are just amazing. And your point about Duke being the only ranked team, there's only so many chances to get signature wins, and Florida State just got one, and that is huge, huge, huge. Now, now they how, get about North- this? how about this? We Four got 20 games seconds. in eight days. Four games in eight days because they got that makeup game. On Thursday, I think it is. Tomorrow. 12 noon Thursday at the Tuck. Take a long lunch break and go see the Knowles against UNF. All right, we're out of time, folks. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Uh, hopefully you got some shut-eye last night anyway. We'll do this again next week. This is Front Row Knowles.